Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Before we get into the show, fun fact, this podcast was born out of a newsletter that we started way back in 2012. People really seem to like it and we think you will too. It's a quick hit list of 10 things we've discovered recently that we love. Everything from recipes to beauty products to books to tools to truly anything that excites us. We send it every Monday. We do take some holidays off and it's free. Sign up at a thing or two HQ.com. Here's the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from one of supporters in general, head to A Thing or Two HQ and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at A Thing or Two HQ. I know we've been giving this warning a lot lately, but it is the summer and we're recording kind of far ahead. So forgive us. Forgive us. But I but, think, you know, you know people need summer. to take vacation. And so we've got to do that. And I listened to a funny episode of one of our favorite fellow podcasts the other day, Jam Session, which is owned by Spotify, which is a Swedish company. And you could tell that the hosts, Amanda and Juliet, had no idea that Monday, July 3rd was not holiday. It was not considered like a holiday. And their podcast <laughs> comes out on Monday. And they were like, so hi, I guess we're recording today. And that's just, you know, being a podcast host in the summer, I guess. You're like, wait, what? We're like, what is this? Is this a day? <laughs> what are we doing? Are people working? Are people driving? What's happening? I can't wait until I do feel like the United States is creeping closer and closer to just taking a big chunk of time off in the way that Europeans do. Like we're just taking such random haphazard five day weekends at a time all over the place. I just think at some point we're going to be doing a four day work week and a month off in the summer. I think we're going to get there. When? When do you think? By the time it's like too hot to leave your house, at least, uh, you okay, know, yeah, th- yeah, when the air quality climate change related <laughs> yesterday, we're chatting. I don't even know what brought it up, but we coined a new term. We coined a new term. So we were thinking, I don't, yeah, I don't know what brought it up either, but we were sort this is a little bit to follow up on our conversation about Wilder, mm-hmm. the Laura Ingalls Wilder podcast and Little House on the Prairie in general, or the Little House books, excuse mm-hmm. me, more broadly, Oregon Trail, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, which I confirmed, Claire, same era, very yes, same era, of course. that there's something happening that is not quite cottage core. Mm-hmm. It is, in fact, covered wagon core. Yeah. 
No, important difference. And it's not just Western and it's not Prairie Corps. No. It's just all a little different. It's, it's all, all a little they're different. They're all part and parcel of the same overall trend, I would say, or just aesthetic. We don't is call like them rural, trends anymore. Rural, rural core. <laughs> yeah. It, we'll see. Okay. So here, one important distinction is I think that cottage core is like at its at its core British, Please. right? I agree. The term cottage is British. It's British. The implication is British. And so covered wagon core is distinctly American. Agreed. 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 I think that Laura Ashley, it's cottage core and Laura Ingalls Wilder is covered wagon core. Mm, know your Laura's. Know your Laura's. I love know your it. <laughs> the thing that immediately came to mind for me was that Kim Kardashian picture that is just memed all the time because she's yes. wearing she look she looks like. Well, I, what I didn't know is that the official term for this meme is Pilgrim Kim. Because she's wearing Which feels earlier. That's like <laughs> earlier, you know. That's yes, no, Pilgrim that's true. Kim is earlier than no, Pioneer Kim. Pilgrims precede covered wagons for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but basically and that's distinctly East Coast. You know? Also, also. The meme, if you're not terminally online, is Kim in like a high neck. I'll call it a prairie dress, but it's like a Laura Ingalls Wilder dress. I don't want to confuse the aesthetics, but it's a high-necked, very modest, pale blue dress her hair and makeup are very modestly done, if at all. And she's leaning up against a barn on a sort of a dusty ground. And I looked it up. It was from a 2008 CR fashion book spread called The Pioneer Woman. There's not much to say about it, except that Kim was interviewed about the shoot. And she said, this was my easiest shoot because I didn't have to suck it in. Oh my gosh. Amazing. 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 But it is, it's Kim as a pioneer woman. And I finding that out just affirmed for me that we were correct to immediately identify that as peak covered wagon core because here she is as a pioneer. This is fascinating to me also because I read something recently somewhere. I can't remember that basically talked about how Kareen Reutfeld and Karl Augerfeld were the two people who really ushered Kim into the fashion nexus that she that she was like on the fringes and you know is that era where she like desperately wanted a Vogue cover and like wanted yeah. to be invited to the shows and wanted to be invited to the Met Gala mm-hmm. and wanted and wanted and wanted mm-hmm. but none of it was happening and it was those two that were like uh-huh. we're doing the image shaping here okay I mean 2008 was a long time ago for her to be featured in something as sort of extremely fashion like fashion, fashion. yeah as CR fashion yes. book yeah yes and CR fashion book was the place that was stamp of approval here you okay. go okay Great. Um, And there's so many pictures of Kareen and Kim like out and about in various eras of both of their personal style. It's incredible, personally. The the thing that felt like uh, also sort of defining covered wagon core for me is Rudy Jude. She's Mm. not cottage core, Mm -mm, mm -mm, but she does mm -mm. feel like covered wagon core. And I don't follow her, so I'm actually not an expert. But it feels to me like there's a bit of like I'm going to build my own house there. Yes. I'm going to reject shininess. And I'm also rejecting the minimalism They're like ditzy florals too. rejecting the ditzy florals it just feels like it feels like you know she's a pioneer she's living the pioneer life and it feels like a sort of rejection of minimalism unless the minimalism is a result of your pioneer ways you know yes 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 minimalism in a covered wagon way I mean a covered wagon is and it's is its way minimalist and I think for me the brand <laughs> that mm-hmm. really lands mm-hmm. is Salter House yes in part because of the color story mm-hmm. you've got your like unbleached canvas yeah. unbleached cotton 
vibe and the and the sort of worn wood and all of that. I think this feels like an important distinction because, you know, there was that incredibly niche, incredibly short lived, deeply Brooklyn moment where people were like Six Bells and Salter House are two alike. And those people were wrong because Six Bells is cottage core and Salter House is covered wagon core. They're not yes. at all alike. So different. <laughs> So different. Yes. I agree. I agree. Claire, in doing this digging, mm-hmm. I went to Pinterest to ask them about covered wagons. Mm-hmm. God bless you. Because you know I love to ask yeah. Pinterest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Google a smart move. Yeah. So it turns out Conestoga wagons are still around, still a thing oh God, since beautiful. at least 1717. Just please scroll to the Lux wagon with a full bathroom. It looks incredible. Also, the exterior looks so good. And I feel like somebody needs to be doing like a wedding in one of these or incorporating them into a wedding. certainly happening because there are various covered wagon campgrounds. Oh, you can have also, there's a bar wagon. Did you see the bar? No, that Claire, believe me, (laughs) next, coming up next is the bar wagon, which you, which is covered. So if you're a bartender, you get shade and the drinks get shade and it's like a walk-up bar. In looking into these covered wagon campgrounds, there was a roundup surfaced by Pioneer Woman. Mm. And I wanted to ask you, how do you think Pioneer Woman fits into covered wagon core? I'm kicking myself for not Googling her more because I know people love her. I know she's a thing. There's one of her. I think I use her chili recipe. I really like, but I know very little about her. And I've always wondered why she is called Pioneer Woman. I'm really looking forward to the crossover audience of a thing or two fans and Pioneer Woman fans. Yeah, to can someone up can someone us. can someone give us an explainer? Can someone call and give us a good Pioneer Woman explainer and their take on how she fits into covered wagon core, if yeah. at all? Yeah. What would you say the other defining features of covered wagon core or like activities mm. are? I don't want to call it a necessarily a rejection of technology, but sort of a, a a deprioritization of technology. So Amish. Yeah, a little Amish Mennonite, you know, the West Coast mm-hmm. Amish Mennonite community. Oh, women talking, covered, mm. covered wagon. Cloth. Yes. And then just a rejection of shiny things unless the shiny things are gold you panned from a stream in the American West and then it can be shiny. But besides totally. that, it's very much like it's canvas, it's dust, it's unpolished wood. Yeah. Dust you know? is a color. Mm, love. Mm, exactly. Love. Oh, you love. know what else? Using painting drop cloths as home textiles. You yeah. Know? Yes, like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think in general, the term homesteading fits really well. Mm, yeah, this one's a stretch, but I have a couple in here that are stretches. You know, Please. there's just like a little lightning round for you to see how this lands. One of the things that really stuck with me when I listened to Wilder, the podcast that started yes. this whole conversation, was that in the first episode, they make the point that Laura Ingalls Wilder was born in the back of a covered wagon and rode on a jet plane before she died and how remarkable that was, which made me think, I feel like being born in a covered wagon is, you know, extremely covered wagon core. And does that make home births covered wagon core? Mm, I think they would have to not be in a plastic swimming pool. Mm, for sure. For sure. You'd have to be in like a, a wooden tub. Or maybe metal. I don't know yes, about yes, wood yes. and germs and uh-huh. things. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think not not a blow up pool. Okay, another question. Remember the era from like 2015 to about 2021 when so many people we knew moved from New York to LA? Of course. Was that Was covered that- wagon core? Mm. A migration they were journeying. West. They were migrating. I'm west. just saying, is migrating west is that part of core. covered wagon core? Or is that kind of separate? Am I conflating the two things? Well, I don't see. Okay, so my question is a little bit: How does the cowboy aesthetic fit into this? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. that there's also an intersection of the rise of the cowboy boot again, again and again yes. in this, and like the cowboy boot and the cream cotton dress. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, okay. So was Laura Ingalls wearing cowboy boots? 
No, because she wasn't actually Western. I mean, it's like right, Dakotas right, right. And, and, and yeah, okay, Minnesota and stuff. I mean, it's it not, feels she, related. It's definitely they originated in the same era. Mm-hmm. Um, cowboy boots originated in the eighteen hundreds. There was a New York Magazine story that just came out today about how everyone is making jam, and is that covered wagon core or cottage core or both? God. I would say that that is cottage core because it is so bright and so like mm-hmm. sweet. Yeah. But that making candles, specifically beeswax candles, yes. is covered yes. wagon core. I, I think that's a fair distinction. Is wearing a nightgown covered wagon core or cottage core? And oh, you know gosh. the type of nightgown I'm talking about. Flannel is covered wagon core, like Liberty Print is cottage core. Okay. Okay. What about just like the thin white cotton? I think that's the intersection. There's your Venn diagram. Thank you so much to Pillsbury Crescent Roll for sponsoring today's episode. Um, As you know, I have been trying to introduce Cam to more ingredients lately. He is deep in his picky eater phase. And what I have realized is that it's about putting new or sort of less exciting ingredients. Maligned, maligned Yeah, more maligned ingredients <laughs> in things he already likes. So we're talking like tacos or sandwiches. You know, I talked to you guys about my princess sandwich. That was like a real success story. And what I realized in thinking about what else can I put ingredients inside of that the Pillsbury Crescent Roll freaking tailor-made for this strategy. Yeah. Because they, those things, you can eat them plain, they're delicious, but you can put basically anything inside of them, savory, sweet, whatever. You can put chicken, you can put pepperoni, you can put ham. What are you trying to sneak in these days? Uh, you know, truly anything that's not mac and cheese or chicken nuggets. Uh, okay. I would say. Yeah. So you're really open about this. You're I'm really, really open. open. Because like, I'm like, oh, asparagus. That feels fun. Like that would wrap up well in a crescent roll. But maybe we don't. It doesn't even have to be that advanced. Erica, a hot dog. Like yeah, I just, right. I'm like a pig in a blanket. A pig yes. in a blanket. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. 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 I have to say, Pillsbury.com's got all these ideas for what you can put inside a crescent roll to jazz it up. And I really do feel like I'm like this is a child who loves croissants. He's very comfortable with a croissant, a crescent roll. Not that different from a croissant. It's Let's just a start- croissant's American pen pal. <laughs> that's, that's right. We're going to start Trojan horsing some of these ingredients inside of crescent rolls and seeing how we can expand this gentleman's palate. And I think it's going to go far. You can find Pillsbury in the dairy aisle. And to find more weeknight dinner recipes, go to Pillsbury.com. Thank you so much to Brookfield Properties Partner to Empower for sponsoring today's episode. So we know we have a ton of entrepreneurs listen to this show. So this is for you. We also know from our experience that opening and working in a brick and mortar retail setting is very different from an e-com one. And we say this as, you know, well-resourced white ladies. So Brookfield Properties created the Partner to Empower program to help break down the systemic racial barriers faced by business owners of color by offering educational resources and funding opportunities to help selected applicants open or expand their brick and mortar footprint at one of Brookfield Properties' 90 plus malls across the country. At its core, the whole aim of Partner to Empower is about furthering equity in retail and increasing access to things every business owner deserves. Applications are open through August 11th, so it's coming up. And the application process is super easy, straightforward, and it is free to apply. The Partner to Empower program offers a tailored four-week retail workshop led by industry experts, and it is a masterclass in all things business and brick and mortar retail. 
detail, covering topics like building business plans, business banking, marketing, staffing, store operations, leadership, and more. And the best part is it's included for all accepted applicants. You'll get one-on-one business planning and guidance from Brookfield Properties Networking and the community support from a cohort of fellow accepted applicants across the country, plus funding opportunities to kickstart the store opening process. This could be right for e-com business owners looking to get in front of shoppers in real life, looking to figure out how in the world do you merchandise things in a store that you've only merchandised on the internet, food truck owners looking for a permanent location, and small businesses with success at local markets or pop-ups who are ready for the next step. Are you a business who would benefit from Partner to Empower? Do you know an entrepreneur who should apply? Get more information or apply by August 11th at partnertoempower.co. That's partnertoempower.co. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am Divorced Not Dead. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said. Why do we put so much pressure on ourselves for the happily ever after? Does our love story really have to be one great lengthy novel, or can we be happy with a book of short but exciting love stories? I guess we'll find out on Divorce Not Dead. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey, so buckle up. Moving on. Friendship ambition is yes. something we'd like to talk about. It, it brings together two words that we have discussed on this podcast podcast at great length, mm-hmm. friendship and mm-hmm. ambition. I read this Rainsford Stauffer piece in Elle called We Should Be Ambitious About Our Friendships. And I haven't actually read any of Rainsford's books, but I really would like to. The first one that came out was called An Ordinary Age, Finding Your Way in a World That Expects Exceptional. And the new one is called All the Gold Stars, Reimagining Ambition and the Ways We Strive. Mm. And yeah, it's just like, it's like all about ambition and how we're thinking. Both of these books are about ambition, how we're thinking about it, what we're putting our energy into, what we value as people. And I thought the pairing of the words ambition and friendship were just like I, relevant to mm-hmm. our lives. Mm-hmm. And obviously you and I are very ambitious about our friendship. It also mm-hmm. takes multiple forms. Mm-hmm. But how to be ambitious in your relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I do think you and I are extremely ambitious in our friendships. But another way of saying it is just I think we deeply like value them. I don't I just think I'm very and prou- prioritize prioritize them. them. I'm deeply yeah. proud of them. One of the proudest things in my life is my friendships. As Maddie Kahn said when she came on the podcast that I loved so much, she said, friendship is a primary organizing principle of my life. I deeply related to it. Yes, 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 yes. And this is something that's come up in books like Text Me When You Get Home by Kayleen Schaefer, Our Pal, and Big Friendship by Ann Friedman and Aminatou So. But like this idea of how are we giving these relationships, like elevating them, I mm-hmm. guess, or giving mm-hmm. them the, you know, giving them the power in our lives that they deserve, if that makes sense. I think so. And I, it's funny because my, I don't think our parents' generation did it as much or maybe, and social media has changed this so much, obviously. What are your parents like when it comes to that stuff? It's fascinating to watch the way that my dad uses Facebook because he's just such a committed user. He has found it as a way to foster friendship on a more meaningful level probably to mm-hmm. him than than we ever did. F- Facebook at least is probably more how we think about Instagram. Yeah. And that might not even be fair. But he just he there are so many relationships in his life that really live on Facebook and people that he talks to there and it is a primary form of communication for him. Whereas I think for us at this point social media has become like dehumanized. And I think we were in this sticky situation where 
we got social media when we were in college. Mm-hmm. We were under the impression that because of that, we would always be able to keep in touch with the people in our lives and always have like some baseline understanding of what they were up to. And now the algorithms have changed. Mm-hmm. And that is not the fact anymore. It's actually really hard to keep up with what people are up to on these platforms mm-hmm. or it requires using it in a very different way than I've become accustomed to using it. Yes, And thus the thing that was meant to be easy of just like knowing like, being like, oh, of course I know what that like that high school friend is doing or I have some you know baseline interaction with them or we message on each other's birthdays or whatever is just not the case anymore. The right. rug has sort of been pulled out from under us. Um, right, right. And right. so we are forced to go back to actually trying. Yeah. No, interesting. Maybe we'll all just go back to Facebook. Yeah. I mean, listen, <laughs> I don't think the algorithm there is so it's different. It's a different. Algorithm. Well, yeah. And nobody nobody's using it anymore except yeah. your dad, who I am Facebook friends with. And he's the highlight of any time I log on to Facebook. That's so nice. Oh, that's just, he's 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 a lovely Facebook user. He really uses. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> Speaking of dads, one of the things that this Friendship Ambition article made me think of was this very, very delightful thing that a Twitter user named Kenzie an idiot shares because her dad goes to a bar with his friends every Friday and he makes a list of discussion topics. And so this is the 17th one that she shared. Agenda, May 12th, 2023. It's printed out, bullet point. Walking in public while talking on a cell phone. Pruning chainsaw review. Vertigo. Board meeting trivia. What are you looking forward to this summer? General discussion. I love it. It's so smart. It's so smart. It's so inspiring. We've long talked about having agendas for certain friend hangs. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize that this could be a useful thing for just individual friendships. So one of my friends, Paige, moved across the country and she'd been living in New York for a good long while. And so we've had to reestablish having a phone relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as I've discussed previously, I find phone relationships to be challenging and I'm just like not that good at it. But something that has been helping me is that I created a shared iPhone note that is our agenda so that whenever something comes up that I want to tell her about or ask her about or just like surface, I can drop it in this agenda, which also is just that fun thing when you open your notes and you see that a thing has been updated. To be I like, think it's What's brilliant. That? I think it's so smart. And you can get excited and be like, oh, now I'm like really looking forward to our conversation because you've you've dangled a juicy bit of gossip in here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's like a thing. And because like some of those things, you, you know, certain things we'll text each other about of like someone that she ran into at the grocery mm-hmm. store or like whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's sometimes more fun to be able to tell the whole story of and course. to dangle and to dangle the carrot is the way I to love do it. This. I'm, I'm prepared to have one with every friend. I think it's very smart. It could also just be a great way to manage the mania of the group text. Or just texting in general, which since 2020, I found to be very challenging to manage my text inbox. And I go in and out of intense conversations with people. And then some people will be like, sorry that it took me so long to get back to you. And I'm like, no, but it's texting. You don't have to get back to me right away. You know, and so I just I I think the shared iPhone note is genius. It, you know, it has worked very well for groceries for Chris and I. I think why not elevate it to a meeting agenda? Totally. And I think there's also because certain group texts where I get like full recaps that I like desperately want, but also would love them with more like color and flavor. Yes. And it'd be fine to get them at a later date if I knew that I was going to get that. If I, if, if I didn't have to remember to ask. You know okay, I mean? I'm just going to propose as a social custom that the level up from the group chat, if a group chat is really important to you, you should have a shared iPhone note and as a sort of ancillary component of it. Yes, as part of you the know? media kit. 
Yes. Media plan. Media. It's, yeah. You're on the channel. You're on the channel. That's right. I just think we should do this. I think we should work on this. I think everybody should adopt it. And then, you you know, you have the group chat ones and then you have the one-on-one ones. I know no one wants to manage another thing, but it's like, if it's not your thing, you don't have to add to it. But I think it's but an the, important... It's, it's, it doesn't ping you. It's not being yeah. like, hey, respond to mm-hmm. me right now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have... It's not demanding anything of you. Yeah. You know and what like it is? about it. It's an organizing principle to call back yeah. to Maddie's bold statement. Yeah. Yeah. In general, I think that finding ways to ritualize friendship that feel lighter lift or just something you don't have to think about is is really helpful and and I don't know, something that I want to work on more. And I was thinking back to Courtney Martin's book, The New Better Off. She has a whole section on rituals I and loved how that book. And it did not get enough attention when it came out. It did not. It yeah. was so it was just so useful and informative. And I really would like a follow-up because I feel like yeah. in the five years oh my or whatever, gosh, since it was sure. published, so much has probably a cha- changed. Her thinking has evolved. But she has a whole section on ritual and she talks about basically how we used to have rituals as part of community and especially related to religion. And they were ways that we were sort of, that we had these rites of passage that we just like don't have or don't have in the same mm-hmm. ways anymore. And then we have to create some of those things on our own, especially if we don't have religion or a foundational community to fall back onto. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I have in my life that I really value is a friend has to get these medical tests done every mm-hmm. year. And it is like a, like, extremely trying psychologically, emotionally, and then just like bodily poking Mm -hmm. a day for her. And so she has instituted an annual dinner the day that these tests happen with a few friends Mm -hmm. at like a fancy restaurant. And it is so nice and so special to have this thing that one is like such a cap on a Mm -hmm. bad activity Mm -hmm. and two is like an annual checkup for us too, like become like takes the form of a manual checkup for everyone involved on their lives and relationships. And I don't know. It's so smart. It just feels really like special and, and meaningful. And Thomas and I were talking recently about, he has two friends who are both, their partners are both having babies. One just had one and one is having one very soon. And he was, I think just started feeling like, God, like, how is this going to affect the friendship? And will I not see these friends as much? And of course you won't, you Mm -hmm. know, I Mm -hmm. mean, they're going to have like new babies, but he instituted a monthly dinner with these friends and they're each taking turns, picking the place to go or whatever. And it's a low key thing. And they've had a couple of them so far. And both of the friends commented already being like, this is just like a really nice thing to have especially when you just get so busy and and as they will, just bogged down with day-to-day life to have this. The thing that I am just, I'll say enchanted by, is that Nora McInerney and Caroline Moss, podcasters, authors, Nora has several podcasts, Terrible Thanks for Asking is probably the most well-known, and then Caroline Moss's G Thanks just bought it, and they are very good friends. And Nora lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and Caroline lives in LA. And LA, California. I liked that mm. I needed to say Phoenix. <laughs> Who knows? Needed to qualify. And so I don't know if it's once a year or a couple of times a year, they travel to Las Vegas. I think it's like a 40 minute flight for both of them. And they do it on off peak days of the week. So like Sunday to Wednesday or something. 
Perfect. Neither of them like Vegas, but the hotel room, you can get a pretty nice hotel room for not a lot of money. Midweek in Vegas. Yeah. Because there's so many hotel rooms in Vegas. That's Vegas's whole thing. And they get great room service and go out to like one or two nice meals, but are not at all tempted to leave their hotel room. They go there to work. They go there to sit side by side and work, which- In a bed. In a bed. bed. In a bed together. I absolutely love it. In part because one, it also addresses that thing that we talk about of like, is the only thing we do with our friends anymore go out to eat? Can't we just yeah. hang out? Can't we run errands together? Why can't we just sit side by side and get our work done together? I absolutely yes. love it. And they've really ritualized this and they have these whole routines and it's all sort of hangs on the premise that like they don't actually like Vegas, but Vegas has a lot of nice luxuries and is super comfortable. And sometimes when someone else is working next to you, that really helps you focus. And it's a way for them to see each other on this regular basis. I... Really, it's perfect. It's the only time I've ever wished I lived closer to Vegas. You and I were talking. We're like, maybe Boston is our equivalent. Providence? <laughs> I don't know. How do we? I do. I just, I love hotel rooms. I love my friends. I like working with other people. I I think it's so smart. And what you're saying, like, do, does it, do we have to always be making complicated plans? Does we have to always be chasing a dinner reservation? Do we have to always be spending all our money or like, God forbid, over hosting? The idea of the lost art of hanging out. Mm-hmm. So there's this book by this woman, Sheila Liming, called Hanging Out, The Radical Power of Killing Time. I have not read it, but I did read an, an, a piece that Dan Kwa wrote for Slate about it and her. And there were a couple of really good takeaway bits from him where he said, I too see a crisis brewing among not only people my age, but among the peers of my teenage children and the college students I teach. Pushed further into isolation by the pandemic, we're all losing the ability to engage in what I view as the pinnacle of human interaction, sitting around with friends and talking shit. I agree with Liming that no one is down to hang out anymore and agree that that is a, quote, quiet catastrophe. I listened to an, a really good interview that this woman did with Ezra Klein, yes. and I also just found her so compelling, and I thought it was just super fascinating, her whole thing. She just has a re- does a really good job of pointing out these the greater impacts of these things. Like the, the thing that spoke to me so much was sitting in a college classroom waiting for the professor to come in. Nobody's just making small talk they're all looking at their phones or like you have earbuds standing in line somewhere. That's like where you hang out with people that you wouldn't otherwise hang out with and friendships are born from that sort of stuff or you create these loose connections, right? It's not that hard to change. We've just forgotten how to do it. I think that's it. Like the thing about hanging out is it's actually not hard. And what Dan writes that speaks to this moment that you're talking about is I can't be the only one for whom memories of ages 16 to say 25 consist mostly of sitting around bedrooms, crappy dorm rooms and crappier apartments doing nothing much at all, which also makes me think about the Huasu book, Stay True, which like so captures Mm -hmm. that experience and is about being so ambitious about friendship that he Mm -hmm. wrote a whole memoir about it. Yeah. Like he basically, Dan goes to hang out with Sheila. That's Mm -hmm. the premise of this article. Mm -hmm. And he says, take risks, she writes, create opportunities to spend unproductive, unstructured time doing nothing with other people. The words unproductive and unstructured Mm -hmm. are both doing so much work Mm -hmm. and are like the things that we're missing in general. Yes. We are like not able to be unproductive or unstructured. I think one thing that helps me a lot in my closest long distance relationships is aside from me and one friend who lives in Los Angeles, none of my close friends who I'm long distance with live in cities. 
And so when I go, I usually go to visit them and because they have bigger homes, we do just sit around. And that is really nice. And that's where I have that type of relationship. Shocker, these are all the the people that I have like sort of grown up with and lived with during a time when doing unstructured hanging out was more common. Right. Like hanging out with your high school friends, no one's expecting you to have like five things on the agenda for the day. That would be crazy. Exactly. Thank you so much to Shopify for sponsoring today's episode. Erica, you and I both recently got our hands on the galley of the summer, the book Glossy, which is about uh, by Marissa Meltzer, about the rise of Glossier and Emily Weiss. There's a lot of juicy tidbits in it. This, I don't think, is too much of a spoiler. I think it's okay to reveal this part of it. But in the beginning, it talks about how when Glossier was first built, they had this extremely fancy custom checkout process and that the website was so- Sophisticated, 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 yes. shiny, shiny, shiny. This is a tech company. Now, however many years later, it has gone through so many evolutions. The company has gone through like challenges. It has overcome them. It is quite certainly like on the way back uh, to world dominance. It's on Shopify. Like the book specifically calls this out, which I love. Like and Shopify is the answer. Shopify is the answer. Yes. You can take a swirling, whirling journey, but you're going to land at Shopify. So may as well just do it now. I simply loved it as a person who has used Shopify for our own business, who loves Shopify, who's partnered with Shopify for so long. It was like, it felt it felt like a tailor-made detail for me. Like, I don't know how many people reading this book will appreciate the journey of them landing back on Shopify, but I personally how deeply validating. appreciated it. Yes. How validating. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling satin sheets from Shopify's in-person POS system or offering organic olive oil on Shopify's all-in-one e-com platform, you're covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout agree with that, to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success at every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash a thing or two, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash a thing or two to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash a thing or two. If you are a fan of this show and if you like books, you are probably also going to be a fan of the podcast Bad on Paper, a chat show hosted by Becca Freeman and Olivia Mentor that we love that feels very sort of of a kind with our show. New episodes of this drop every Wednesday. So if you know you've blown through ours on Monday and you're looking for another listen, this is the one for you. Olivia and Becca are both really big readers. They talk about what they're reading every episode. They're also both writing books. You have probably seen at this point galleys of Becca's book, The Christmas Orphans Club, floating around the internet because it's just one of the hot galleys happening right now. It's coming out later this year. They've got this book club that is fun and I would say really emphasizes pleasure reading. And if you're someone who feels like you're constantly stuck in a reading rut, they are a great go-to of just like, what's going to be something fun that I'm not going to be able to put down that I'm just going to tear through and I'm going to really enjoy because reading should be enjoyable. 
it's really just one of those chat shows that feels like having a glass of wine with your best friends. They talk about everything from rom-com tropes to products that they're loving to career stuff to like how to get a book published. They a lot of the time have guests. They were the first podcast that I was aware of to have Robin Lee of The Idea of You, an iconic bout on paper episode. There's a huge back catalog, but you can jump in anytime. And then when you fall in love with it, you will have tons and tons of episodes to burn through. But yeah, it's not like one of those ones where it requires context or like inside jokes that you got to know about. Bad on Paper, hosted by Becca Freeman and Olivia Mentor. New episodes every Wednesday. I'm sorry this is going to be my new Taylor Swift slash Harry Styles is the bear because I'm so obsessed with it with season two of the bear. You're at that level, you think? It hasn't been so long. I haven't gotten on the bear TikTok yet, so we'll see. One of the things that I realized in watching the bear that is, I think, quite obvious, especially to people who have worked in it, but one of the things that is so intoxicating and also at times toxic about the restaurant industry is how much hanging out there is. Mm. And there's this one episode in season two that is so, so good. And it's not the one everybody thinks. There's like a couple that everybody's like, this is the one. To me, that this is one where they're all getting ready for the opening and they're all just sort of running around with like, somewhere between mid to high levels of anxiety, but also not that much to do because the restaurant hasn't opened yet. And so there's a lot of bonding. And it reminded me so much of Empire Records, which is one of the ultimate just hanging out movies. And I was like, right, like this is something so special about working in in these environments where like you do end up having these conversations about your mom dying when you were a kid or whatever yeah, you don't yeah. get from remote work. I think it, as soon as you started talking about this, I was like, oh, that's how retail is too. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there's just yes. so much hanging out in mm-hmm. in my experiences in retail, both in Peoria, Illinois and New York. There's mm-hmm. a lot of like, because Tuesday at, at 11, yes. pretty much anywhere is not a busy time. And so yes. you learn a lot about your coworkers and yeah. You know what yeah. else is like um, that? A photo shoot set. Yeah. My God, yeah, the that's amount of small talk. The problem with a photo shoot set is you're not seeing the same people every day unless it's a really long shoot. So uh-huh. you're like, I'm just going to learn your whole life story and never see you again. That's it. Yeah. But that's kind of fun too. Yeah. No, totally. It's true. It, it it's lowers true. the stakes of sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Would you say the bearer is one of your core pieces of feel good summer content right now? Mm, I wouldn't call the bear feel good. I It's yeah. not not. Well, it's funny because some people have been comparing it to, and I'm speaking specifically about season two. I, season one was also good. And I have struggled to figure out how to pitch it to people who haven't watched the show at all because it's not one of those like, oh, you just have to get through season one because season one no. is great. It's just that season two is to me so much better. It does have elements of, it has a lot of feel good in it. And it, I, I, without having watched Ted Lasso, but being a person in the world, I feel like I understand enough what the parallels are. Yes. But it it is so feeling and emotional. It's like hard to watch sometimes. Not even because it's, there are, of course, sad and devastating parts. There are parts that are really anxiety-ridden and that makes it hard to watch. But that's not what makes it hardest to watch. To me, I'm just like, it's just so feeling that sometimes it's so like kind feeling. of, a, it's so intensely feeling and I kind of want to go back and watch certain parts. I think it's outstanding television and I I am feeling I really strongly like about it. I can see you like your legs yeah. about it. Yeah. Well, there's like, just also- you get really like nervous and excited and emotional It's also it. how I feel about about past lives, which I know you all, you shared. And I worried that I was like, sometimes when things get really overhyped, like I really loved everything everywhere all at once, but I, it had been so overhyped that I was like, did I miss something? And I worried that I did that to you because I talked about it so much, but I think it lived up to the hype for you. 
You actually, I think, okay, so past lives mm-hmm. to to like wind it back in case you don't know what this is. It's the semi-autobiographical directorial debut of this woman, Celine Song, and it stars Greta Lee and T.O.U. and John Magaro. And it is about a Korean woman who emigrates to Canada when she's like 12 and reconnects 12 years later with the sort of like preteen love, her like 12-year-old kind of boyfriend, kind of crush, whatever. And it like goes on from there. But eventually she is married and not to him. Mm -hmm. And they meet up. Yeah, I think that was all good. It is so good. It is so complicated and nuanced in every way, I think. I didn't overhype it. No, I also just, I also don't, I think you were really careful about telling me about it at all. I was traveling when you saw it Mm -hmm. and I first heard that you saw it via a group text where you like said it was so good, (laughs) but you didn't even tell me directly. I think you were really trying to be careful. I was because I didn't want to, I didn't want to overhype it for you and then not have it live up. I didn't know what to expect going into it. And then, and I just was blown away. And the thing that you said is so true. It's like you can't pinpoint what is so great about it because everything is great about it. The writing is incredible. The acting is incredible. The cinematography is incredible. And everybody else who feels the way we feel about it, I feel like they've all started from a different place. Like some people are like, it's the best New York movie since Annie Hall. Mm -hmm. And that's true. It's an incredible New York movie. Incredible New York movie. And then if somebody else starts with the acting and somebody else starts with the writing, it is just in every way, I think, perfectly done. I truly agree with all these people who are like, it's the best movie I've seen in five years, maybe 10. I have a lone gripe about this film and I'd like to know how it lands for mm, you. I can't wait. Thank you. We haven't actually gotten to really, really talk about it. So no, I, because it, yeah, you saw it last weekend. Yeah. I would really like to see it okay. again. Me too. Um, me too. <gasps> okay. Yeah. Maybe so maybe we, we should go that. because of the yeah. subtitles, because sometimes we get lost in thought and get distracted and then miss a subtitle or two because a lot of it is you, in Korean. It's your gripe. Anyway, my only gripe mm-hmm. is about the fashion on Nora. Mm. I found it to be a little bit like it didn't need to be anything, but I found it to be a little distractingly off. Interesting. Especially when she's in her 20s. So I think one, Greta Lee has incredible style. And I I think think, that might be part of the challenge. I think you and I also know Greta Lee almost like as a personality from like having followed her style and like social media. And she used to live close to us. And so like, I think for me, it was almost helpful to be like, this is not Greta Lee. This is Nora. It felt to me to sort of like fade into the background. And I think the other thing is that a lot of the characters that Greta Lee has played in the past are very fashionable. And this was so just like nothing fashion. I, okay. I thought when she was in her thirties, it was nothing fashion. Mm-hmm. I thought when she was in her twenties, it was, I will need to, we, we need to revisit. We oh, need, I, yeah. I am kind of remembering. It's like a little bit like dorky almost. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I got to go back yeah. and watch it again. Okay. Yeah, and like a little ill-fitting or just like not cool. Yeah, and like yeah, it just doesn't. It, it, it I don't know. It was hard for me. That was okay. the only. That was truly okay. Talk about like the, yeah, the tiniest so in thing. a third yeah. of the movie. I didn't like the clothes. Yeah, that's I could that's see all I got. that. I could see that's that. all I got. There was also a theme, sort of the central theme, that zeroed in on something that I think I've been sort of circling a lot lately. That I think has to do with my age and also just this sort of like series of events that have happened in the world that feel like they've aged me and everyone else so much about your past life, to quote the, the name of the movie, and how it does or does not fit into your current life. And I think a uh-huh. lot of it has to do, I said to Chris recently, I was like, man, like, I'm sure being a parent ages everybody and like having a kid immediately makes you feel old, but having a kid and then having the pandemic hit immediately after just like fully drew this line between my youth and 
and <laughs> end of my youth. And I think I've been thinking about that a lot lately and just more than ever. Also, because when you have a kid, you think about your own childhood, of course, and what course. it was like. And so I just, in general, I think I've been doing a lot more reflecting on that part of my life. And I think it posits a really beautiful idea about how your former life and your current life can coexist and how it can be really sad and hard, but also wonderful and fine. Yeah. And like, you don't have to reconcile it ultimately. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I just, I was so moved by that part of it. I mean, there's a million themes in this movie, but I, it was like kind of a message I think I needed to hear very much as I approach 40 about how all of these different parts of yourself and your identity can, can be true at once, even if they are somewhat in conflict. Yes, 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 yes. May we talk about a few? other mm-hmm. other I summer suppose. movies anything besides the bear and past lives which truly like I what an embarrassment of riches an embarrassment of riches yes you're excited about theater camp oh my god so theater camp stars ben platt molly gordon and io debris who are both in we've bear. Si- previously cited amy sedaris and it's about <gasps> theater geeks at a theater camp and the founder or sort of like camp director goes into a coma and they all have to figure out the show must go on oh don't tell mom the babysitter's dead plus theater camp Plus wet hot American summer. Like it's it, yeah, it right, feels right, right, to right, me, right. It's the it the preview itself. And again, I know we've talked about how sometimes previews can be misleading, but it looked so funny. And this feels like what Ben Platt was made for. The whole cast is perfect. It looks so funny. I love theater geek humor. I'm super in. So some of these are out now and some of them are coming out soon. I am very interested in seeing Joy Ride. And the thing that turned me on to this film was, I think, a Variety article that told that told me that it was originally meant to be called the Joy Fuck Club, which is mm-hmm. just at, like if that's tonally where we're going, yeah. I am in. It stars Ashley Park, Sherry Cola, Stephanie Sue and Sabrina Wu. And it is a buddy comedy where they are all on a mission to help one of the characters locate her birth mother in China. Mm. I mean, yes. Yeah. And I think just because we get so few movies in this vein, like women buddy comedies, women stoner comedies, whatever, whatever. Mm. It's just, yeah, I want this. Yeah. I want this. Okay. Problemista is written, directed, and produced by Julio Torres, who I came to know through his HBO comedy special, My Favorite Shapes, which is so funny and so good. He also has this children's book called I Want to Be a Vase that is about a toilet plunger that wants to be a vase. And it is so beautiful. The first time I read it, I was like, this is like too conceptual. It's actually so good. It's about like being whatever and whoever you want to be. Everybody tells the toilet plunger that the toilet plunger cannot be a vase. And the toilet plunger is like, I sure can. He is just so funny. And the premise of this film is that Alejandro is an aspiring toy designer from El Salvador, struggling to bring his unusual ideas to life in New York. His work visa is running out. And so he's trying to figure out how to stay in the country. And he is working as an assistant to this. I think it's like a gallerist or something. Somebody in the art world played by Tilda Swinton. She almost feels like a Miranda Priestly character, but like a little nicer mm-hmm. or more loving. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah, smart. Yeah. I, it, yeah. She looks incredible in it. He obviously looks incredible in it. Your notes tell me that Isabella Rossellini is also in it. Gretel- and Riza and Greta Lee. Greta like, Lee is, is in it. What is not to like yes. about this? Yeah. Yes, it, like it looks this? so good. And and it looks like a deeply New York movie, too. Ah, great. Yeah. What else are we excited about? Well, a romance novel coming to life, Red, White, and yes. Blue. So it's starring Taylor Zakar Perez and this guy, Nicholas Galatine, who I'd never heard of before, but he's also starring in The Idea of You. So this he has gu- a love interest in both. This he's guy's our new romantic lead. He's our new romantic lead. The premise of this book, which is an adaptation of this very popular sort of runaway success Casey McQuiston book, is that 
the first son of the first female president of the U.S. and the like a sort of Prince Harry character Mm -hmm. are enemies and is like made clear at some, you know, public event. Mm -hmm. And so then they have to put on a show of being friends in order to sort of clear the air, you Mm -hmm. know, because for international international relations. relations. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, guess what happens? They fall in love. Yeah. I am among the like Thousands of people who are excited for Challengers, um, oh my God, it which is so it looks good. so good. It's the Luca Guadagnino movie. It is starring Zendaya and Mike Faced and Josh O'Connor. Josh O'Connor's coming up a lot here. Mm-hmm. And fun fact: the screenwriter of this is married to the screenwriter and director of Past Lives. I mean, they're having a banner year. These two banner year. This is a tennis loves triangle. I am so thrilled. It's like perfectly timed for award season one mm-hmm. and to the end of tennis season. Mm-hmm. It like comes out right as the U.S. Open ends. Perfect. It looks like a lot. Yeah, um, it looks in a it good looks way. sexy. It looks fun. I love to see Zendaya in this type of role. It feels made for her. Yeah, great. There are all of these tennis movies in the works and I'm thrilled about it. There's this Rebel Wilson comedy called Double Fault. Mm. There's going to be an adaptation of the Taylor Jenkins Reid book, Carrie Soto is Back. I'm not surprised that we're getting a bunch of tennis movies. It only makes sense. It only makes sense. It only makes sense. And then obviously the like elephant in the room is the Barbie movie, which like came out a minute before this episode. So hopefully we'll have actually seen it by the time this comes out. Yeah. In general, I feel like I am reading everything I can mm-hmm. read about it mm-hmm. because thinking about what went into this movie does, it just feel like, I don't know, it just feels fun. It's like, it's such a complicated and entertaining and important and demanding and exciting project. Like what a creative exercise. In my in my journey of reading all the Barbie content, I read a profile of Margot Robbie in Vogue and a profile of Greta Gerwig in Gentlewoman and there's just some really good Greta moments in both that really explain this, pro- like the movie coming together and just like feel very delightful. In the Vogue story, there's this piece where <laughs> they're just they're explaining that Mattel introduced the first Ken doll in 1961 in response to letters demanding that Barbie get a boyfriend. And Gerwig says, Barbie was invented first. Ken was invented after Barbie to burnish Barbie's position in our eyes and in the world. That kind of creation myth is the opposite of the creation myth in Genesis. Great. Love it. Wow. And then she took a tour of the Mattel factory when she was working on the movie and learned that a vast majority of the dolls in the Barbie line are named Barbie. Now all the dolls are Barbie. All of them are Barbie and Barbie is everyone. Philosophically, I was like, well, now that's interesting. The more she thought about it, the more the multiplicity of Barbie suggested an expansive idea of self that we could all learn from. Wow. I'm very, very excited to see it. Can I tell a funny story to bring this full circle? I was thinking about how I didn't know any Gretas growing up, but two of the people that we're talking about are both named Greta. And there's a funny anecdote in this New York Times profile of Greta Lee that's pegged to past lives where she was passed up for the role at first. And then she got a phone call from, I think, one of Celine Song, the playwright and director's assistants. And she's like, oh, my God, I finally got the role. And it turned out it was just an assistant who fucked up and was supposed to be calling Greta Gerwig for a meeting. Like she got a call and was like, can you come down? Can you come downtown like immediately? Like we they have to talk to you. And Greta was like, oh, my God, I got the role. And then it was like, oh, no, no, no. Sorry. That was for Greta Gerwig. Wrong Greta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wrong Greta. Summer of the Gretas. Summer of the Gretas. Oh my God. Okay, that's, that's the, show. the show. 
This has been a production of Dear Media, and we are so grateful to the talented team over there for helping us make this podcast happen, especially to our wonderful producer, Ali Slice. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And if you have ideas for our show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and sign up for our newsletter at a thing or two HQ.com too. If you love the show, consider supporting it by signing up for a secret menu also at a thing or two HQ.com. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.